Today's going to be a fun day. How many is going to get to hang around with us afterwards? We're going to have some barbecue and some pulled pork, and we're going to have a good time, and we're going to hang out. And uh, so we want you to hang around, let the kids enjoy the water slides. But I know that a lot of us are, you know, getting a little older, so we set up, didn't set the tent up this year. We set up in the fellowship hall in the air condition. So there's some room. Somebody said amen to that. So there's there's place over in the kids' room for y'all to eat, and kids can go outside. And parents, you are responsible for watching your kids. I might add that. And so uh, you can go out there and be with them. I'm so happy today to have our friends, have our family here, and uh, just a big part of our house. I told you this already, Neil, but when we sit down with our staff week to week and we ask the question, who we love to have in this house guests minister more than anyone else. Our top one by everybody's choice was definitely you. Uh, because you always, not because you're just cool, but that too, but but um, because you always deposit something beautiful in this house. And we just want to thank you and honor you for your deposit into our house. And we hope we do the same to you. So we welcome you this morning. Let's give him a big hand as he comes this morning. Oh, man. Well, first thing I want to do is honor my wife. Lindsay's here. Won't you stand up, darling? This is my wife, Lindsay. She uh, Sometimes I've visited here, and uh, Lindsay hasn't joined me. And I've, I've felt the spirit of offense coming this way. How could you come here and not bring her? <laughs> well, today Lindsay's here, and... Uh, you know, what we do in Iraq is not a one-man show. It's a family show. We, uh, we feel very, very, very convinced from the Lord that our mandate is to demonstrate him as a family, not as a man who has a vision, who's dragging along, kicking and screaming kids and, and, a, and a wife. No, no, God is using our family, and, and Lindsay is a leader of that. To see her step into her calling, to see her step into the way that God's gifted her in such a difficult place, in a place where women are, they're not even shunned or ignored. They're just non-existent. They're hidden. To see her, to see her step into the light and to be a proclamation of Jesus and, and the kingdom is amazing. So I honor my wife this morning and the gift that she is to me and to so many others. And Marvin and Angela, we love y'all so much. And the way that y'all have just adopted us into this family and the way that you love us and serve our family. I was telling them last night, there's, there's a couple houses, and I say house, that we know are with us like family, joined with us. And this is one of those houses that no matter where we are or what the need may be or the situation we may find ourselves, we know in an instant this house is with us. So we love y'all and we honor you and we love this house so much. And there's so many of you here that pray for us, that support us, that stand with us, that, that send us messages and encouragement. So it was really important for Lindsay and I to come here and personally thank you and tell you that we could not do what we do without you guys. So thank you so much. We love y'all so much. Well, we have a short video.
For those of you that aren't familiar with me or Lindsay or what in the world we're talking about, we're missionaries in Iraq. We've been there for about three and a half years. And we've got a short three-minute video that just gives you kind of a preview of what we do and where we live. I'll share a testimony, and then I have a specific word that I really feel the Lord has for the house this morning, and we'll get to work. So, bro, if that video's ready, let it rip. We are so thankful to share with you that this has been a season of breakthrough in Iraq. On the home front and in our ministry, we're seeing God answer prayers we've been praying since we landed three years ago. More than just a place that God has called us to serve, Iraq is home to our entire family. And this is evidence that when God calls you to serve a people, He gives abundant grace to be at rest among that people. One of the areas of breakthrough is our work in Mosul. We have total access to that city, favor with local leaders, and vision for the work there. We just wrapped up our nine-week pilot program called the Widow Storehouse Project, where we adopted 29 widows and 40 orphans from the old city of West Mosul. We specifically chose this neighborhood because it experienced some of the heaviest fighting and some of the worst trauma during the war to liberate the city from ISIS. Our goal was to supply the women and children with an abundance of food every week. They were so open to receiving prayer from us, and there were multiple miracles that were performed among the women and children. The ladies consistently testified that they saw the love of God in the way that we served them. Another area that we're praying for breakthrough in is new laws that would open up Iraq to international adoption. One of the impossibly difficult situations left by ISIS is what to do with the thousands of orphans they father. We are believing God to demonstrate himself as a father to this fatherless generation. We've also partnered with Mosul University to host an after-school art therapy class with 35 orphans living in the community that we serve. We're also excited about our new facility in the heart of Mosul. We're going to be hosting regular prayer and worship gatherings in this facility as an extension of our main house of prayer, which is located about an hour east of Mosul. Our Mesopotamia house of prayer continues to expand. In addition to our annual 100-hour prayer gathering, we've added quarterly 24-hour prayer gatherings and semi-annual 50-hour prayer gatherings. Believers from around the Middle East join us for these intense gatherings of prayer and worship. We will also be expanding even further, hosting regular prayer gatherings in additional cities. Our house church in Erbil continues to grow deeper in relationship in the Word. Each week we gather with Muslim background believers and seekers to worship, study the scriptures, break bread together, and celebrate the beauty of the church. Lindsay and I find ourselves saying this over and over. We have a great life here. Our kids are happy. We have joy in our home and fruit in our ministry. We are blessed to be living in a region of the world that finds itself at a critical point in history. And we have the opportunity to influence that history for the glory of God. For all of you that stand with us in prayer and financial support, thank you so much. We could not do any of this without you. God bless you. Amen. Well, that makes me want to go home seeing that video. And most of y'all are like, are you crazy? That is the last place I would want to be. But man, when God speaks to you, 
And he says, come on, I got something awesome for you to step into. There's nothing else you want to do. What else would you want to do your life, with your life but serve Jesus? Whether that's across the street or across the ocean, it doesn't matter. What else would you want to do but give your life to God and say, man, whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. So I love living in the Middle East and getting to be a light in such a dark place. Man, such a dark place. That's where the light needs to be. So we are honored to do what we get to do. So you guys continue to pray for us, that the light would shine ever brighter. That Don't worry about the darkness, man. Don't pray for safety. We don't want to come back to you and share with you testimonies of how safe we are. Pray that the light would shine bright, man, and that people would be captivated by the light, that they would see the beauty of Jesus and his church would come a, become a glorious family that becomes full, that becomes full of the spirit and full of sons and daughters and full of giftings and full of testimonies that provoke those who don't know him to come into the family. Pray those kinds of prayers. I do want to share a testimony with you. And I love that today, Pastor Marvin releases a vision to you guys about house church. See, we do house church. We gather in homes. We gather in tents. We believe that God is family and that he is building family. And that looks like people coming together and loving and serving one another. And sometimes on a Sunday morning Western church expression, it's hard to do that. Let's be honest with ourselves. We don't know what's going on in each other's lives. We don't know the depth of what we're walking through because we just don't have that opportunity when there's 200 people gathering in a room once a week. But through house church, families coming together throughout the week, doing life together, now we are stepping into something apostolic. That is apostolic. This is celebration. This is let's worship the one who saved us. Family is apostolic. We had a brother who, he's a former Muslim. He was going through some difficult times. And so we invited him into our house. We said, bro, we don't want you to be isolated in your situation and allow the enemy to pick you off as an individual. Step into our home. Let's do family together. So he was with our family for three weeks, he was with another family for three weeks, and, and so on and so on. And so for three weeks, man, I had like intense discipleship planned out. We're going to wake up at this time. We're going to pray together for, you know, an extended amount of time. We're going to read a couple books together. We're going to study specific passages of Scripture together. We're going to do like service projects together. I had a very good plan for this guy. He was going to become... Timothy. So at the end of the three weeks, we sit down just to kind of recap. I said, bro, so, so what impacted you most about our time together? Now, mind you, he's living in our house. And he thinks, and I think he understand what, what I was kind of hoping he would say. But he said, you know, I, I appreciated all that you did, all of the discipleship stuff. But the thing that ministered to me the most was seeing your family be family. Yeah. 
See, he was invited behind the curtain, so to speak. So he got to see how I handled my frustration when my kids were out of line or, or how Lindsay and I resolved conflict or how we hosted people, whatever it may be. He saw genuine family, not the image of family that we sometimes try to portray. And man, this cracked something open in this brother. He saw something he had never seen before. It's so easy to see the missionary or the pastor and think that, that we've arrived at some level of something. No, man. We're all in a family on a journey. So this brother was blessed by that. He got to see family. And that really spoke to Lindsay and I, too. And it provoked us that, man, we need to be doing a better job of that. The last thing we want to do is portray something to someone that says, I have arrived, and I pray that someday you will, too. That's not the goal of this whole thing. That is not the goal. The goal is that gifts are poured out in a five-fold ministry context and that the body is built up edifying one another until we all reach the fullness of Christ. It's not about the five-fold guys who possibly have tapped into something and we try to emulate that. No, no, no. It's that we all arrive into fullness of Christ. So with that in mind, it's amazing that I'm here on this day. I love this, man. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I used to laugh at the guys who would preach with the round table and the coffee cup and the iPad. And now look at me. That's what I get. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Now I'm reading from the New King James Version. Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious materials, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become manifest. It will be revealed, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And this is the, ver the verse I want to drill down on today. Verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Now, more often than not, this verse is used as an illustration in Western church to promote individual piety, individual holiness, 
my individual relationship with God or to encourage us with the incredible reality that God lives in you. Now, those truths are incredible and they are taught all through Scripture and they are part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. But that is not the point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If we take what Scripture says in one place and we misapply it to another place, we might reinforce a teaching by way of repetition, but we miss out on something that Scripture is trying to teach us. And before you start throwing stones and say, brother, that is my life verse. What are you talking about? Bear with me. Yes, your body is a temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But I want to drill down on what he's saying in chapter 3, because if we miss chapter 3 and only grab hold of chapter 6, then we're going to be like a quarterback who says, man, I've got a great arm. I'm not passing this ball off to anybody. I'm the temple. He lives in me. Yes. But hold on a second. Let's look at chapter three. The whole reason that we have this letter, 1 Corinthians, is Paul is addressing an issue of division among believers in the city of Corinth. They started fragmenting and denominating amongst different superstar preachers. I am of Paul. No, no, no. I like Apollos better. I like Pastor Marvin when he teaches. No, Peyton preached last week. I really liked that guy. I wish he would preach more. I want to go to this house church because they have pizza every night. I want to do this. I, 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 I. We, the church of Corinth started dividing themselves amongst different people and the personalities that these superstar preachers had. The congregations that the superstar preachers may have had. The giftings that the superstar preachers may have exercised. Paul is writing this letter to say, no, 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 no. That is not the kingdom of God. When Paul says in verse 16, you are the temple of God. He's using the plural form of the word you. A better translation of 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 is y'all are the temple of God. Y'all, us, we, we are the temple of God. Paul in this passage is not concerned with individuals realizing the powerful, powerful reality that God lives in them. That comes later. That comes in chapter 6. First, Paul is concerned about establishing unity. Unity to a group of believers that are starting to divide themselves over personal preferences. Paul is correcting this leaven that is starting to spread in the body. The leaven that says your personal preference is more important than the overall health of the body. Don't you know, you, all of you, we, us, are the temple of God. 
Now, Paul uses this word temple. What is he implying by this word temple? So we'll go through a short history lesson. Very simply, Paul is referencing the house of God. God has always been building a house for himself. From the beginning of creation, God has demonstrated his desire to be among his people. In the beginning, this looked like a garden where God and man experienced union and fellowship, walking together in the cool of the day. But then, of course, sin comes in and, and separates this fellowship that man had with God. But this did not erase God's desire to be with people. And it did not erase man's longing to be with God. So in Exodus, we see God taking the first steps in restoring the union between God and man. After God leads his people out of slavery, he instructs them how to build a dwelling place for his presence with them. This is monumental. We can't glance over this. God said, I want to dwell with you and I'm going to show you how to house my presence. This old covenant temple, it was a type and shadow of what was to eventually come in the New Testament. But it was just a shadow. It wasn't the fullness of God's plan. That temple of the old covenant it still had separation built into it. Separation that protected an unholy, sinful people from a holy God who lived inside of this building. The beauty of that temple was it was a monument that declared God's desire to be with his people. Think about that for a minute. Dad, how do I know that God loves me and wants to be with me? Well, son, you see that building right over there? God lives with us. And God could have placed his presence anywhere, but he placed it here with us. That's how you know God is with us. You see that building? God's in that building. But the problem with this temple was it was also a constant reminder that they could not be with him. God was with man, but man could not be with God. Man's desire to be with God was not enough to overcome the separation of sin. But now, praise God, on this side of the cross, that sin separation of the old covenant is gone. It's been removed. When Jesus allowed his body to be broken, he took a spiritual sledgehammer to the walls of that temple. That separation between God and man was smashed. Literally, the veil was torn so that now God and man could be together. Now, instead of God living inside of a temple made of inanimate stones, God dwells inside of a temple made of living stones. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. You, as living stones, individual living stones, are being built up together 
into a house of God. So hold on a second, man. Is the Bible saying that we are a temple or we are stones? Because these almost sound like a contradiction, right? Well, the answer is both. Yes, the teaching of Scripture is that you are a temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the teaching of Scripture. You are a temple and you are a living stone. That's the teaching of Scripture. Unfortunately, the modern teaching of Christian faith is you are a temple. And the living stone part gets neglected. The distinction between man as temple and man as stone is massive. Whether I see myself as a temple or as a stone has incredible implications. Not only for how I see the kingdom and my role in the kingdom, but how I see church and how I interact with those around me. Listen to this comparison. If I see myself primarily as a temple of God, then my Christian faith will have a very 21st century Western individualistic expression. I will see church as an organization that I go to in order to improve the quality of my temple. And when I gather corporately with other temples, our main goal is to leave with our temples topped off with enough presence to get us through another week. How do I determine which organization to bring my temple to on a Sunday? Well, first I find a, a group that fulfills as many preferences as possible. They have a stellar children's program. The pastor has funny jokes. They have a parking attendant and a coffee bar and a worship band with just enough tattoos. And they have absolutely zero conflict. Don't even talk to me about conflict, man. I'm trying to tend to my garden. What else do I look for in an organization? I need to make sure that, that me and my lifestyle are affirmed because I am the temple of God. And the moment that my temple is provoked or challenged either by a pastor's difficult teaching or too much requirement placed on me, well, I'll just find another organization. This is a 21st century Western individualized concept that we have manufactured and inserted into Scripture. But if I see myself as a living stone, my purpose becomes absolutely dependent on the community of living stones around me. Suddenly, Christian faith takes on a very first century Eastern communal identity. I see church as a family of living stones that I am just one part of. Together, this gathering of stones creates a living organism where God dwells, where God is comfortable to be himself. 
It's by way of his dwelling in us as family that we transform the world around us. It's a way that we as family allow God to be God in our midst, which then transforms the world around us. And when we gather corporately, the main goal is not me encountering God. It's not me having my preferences met. The goal is the living temple crying out together in worship of the one who lives among us. Our joy in gathering together is to be with one another, to serve one another, to build each other up in our holy faith so that in that atmosphere of unity, God can dwell among us. Do you see the difference? I'm a temple and this temple has needs. I'm just a stone looking for other stones that I can link to so that we can build the house of God. Let's crush the lie that says this whole thing is about me. Let's smash the head of that serpent that says it's all about me. It's not. It's about him. It's about his plan. It's about his ways. You were not created so that one day you could be forgiven So that the rest of your life you could tend to your garden and then step into heaven one day where you have a big mansion and you live on puffy white clouds. Even our idea of heaven has become individualistic. If there's one thing that should belong to him and his plan, it's heaven. But even in our modern way of thinking, we think eternal life is centered around us. It's not about us. It's about him. And he has a particular way of doing things. Do you see how Western culture has infiltrated the church with this individualized thing? God intended to express himself through family. And when we cut that off and say, I am the temple and it's about me, we cut off the beauty and the power of God's plan. Yes, you are wonderful and special and loved and you're a beautiful snowflake and God has a wonderful plan for your life. All of those things. But you are all of those things so that you can fit into his greater purpose, which is building a family coming together as one body under one head with one name. Beautiful snowflakes that you are. I've got one more point to make, and then we'll go celebrate. (laughs) Honesty. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been drilling down on verse 16. But if we go back to verse 9, Paul introduces interesting language, this building architecture language Paul injects to the conversation, which then climaxes with what we've been talking about. Verse 16, the temple. But look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, with silver, precious stones, wood, hay, 
straw. Each one's work will be revealed, for the day will declare it. The goal is to build God's house with eternal, precious materials that can stand the testing of fire. You know, what's interesting about these materials that can withstand the testing of fire, two things. The first is you can't find these materials easy. Gold, silver, precious jewels, they require digging and mining and plowing and unearthing something that's hidden deep underneath the surface. See, wood, hay, straw, stubble, any old passerby can just stub his toe on these things and find them. But the deep eternal things, man, those are buried. They're hidden underneath the surface. And it requires sacrifice to dig them up. The second interesting thing about these precious materials is you can't dig them up by yourself. Sure, you may be able to go find a river and pan for gold, maybe build your wife a little bracelet or trinket or something, but you can't build anything of substance with that. If you're going to find enough precious materials to build something with, it requires community. It requires other people digging and mining and plowing side by side with you. It requires community. Oh, how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity, to be together, living, not, not every now and again send, sending each other some text messages, hey, brother, thinking about you. How good it is for brothers to dwell together in unity, living together, searching out the deep, precious metals, building something together that God can then fill with his presence. Do you see the wisdom of God? Do you see how modern individualism has undercut God's wisdom and made this whole thing about me? Even the idea of mining for precious metals and building has become individualized. There's a teaching that says you go lock yourself in a closet alone, search out the deep mysteries. My friend, let me tell you something that is joyous and kingdom and beautiful and powerful. But how precious and powerful and wonderful it is to do it in unity with brothers. How much more effective is your digging and plowing when you do it in unity with the community? Yes, lock yourself in a closet, but don't forget to come out and reveal the mysteries to those you're doing life with. Don't forget to allow the mysteries that they're uncovering to impact you and change your life. The idea is not to do this thing alone and see who can get the furthest. The idea is to link yourself together as a family. Pastor Marvin has given this house an incredible opportunity to step into family, to not just come together on Sunday, but to actually be the house of God, to be living stones that come together, that build each other up, that rebuke each other in love, that correct each other, that strengthen each other through tension and conflict. 
bearing the cross in those instances, preferring others more than yourself. I would encourage you, embrace this moment and dive headlong into house church. Dive headlong into community. Open up your home to strangers. Open up your home to homeless people that you pass on the street. Open up your home to somebody you may see on Sunday morning, but you never really have gotten to know them. Be a family. Let's do this thing together. I don't say it lightly when I come and I say, you guys are like family to me. I wish I had the opportunity to break bread with each of you, to do life together. You guys have that opportunity. Man, don't let this pass by. If the worship team wants to come back forward, I want to pray that God seals this message and that he really transforms you into a living stone. Perhaps there's some that need to lay something down in repentance. Perhaps your life has been ordered around this concept of you being a temple. God is gracious and merciful, and he wants to transform your life into a stone that builds up other stones. Perhaps you have been laboring as a stone, man. Your objective and your calling is to be a blessing to those around you. I just want to pray that God releases grace and that you step into deeper dimensions of humility. And I'll pray over everyone here that this becomes a house of God in every possible way. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. You guys can stand with me. Jesus' name. Lord, we love you and we love your ways. We love your wisdom. We thank you that you sent your son so that we could be forgiven and we could step into your presence and truly be transformed by your presence. We thank you that your design is to be with us. Your desire is to be with us. We ask that you would have your desire in every way. Lord, that you would shift us out of the 21st century mindset of individualism and onto your purpose and your path. Give us grace to do the difficult things. Lord, give us grace to embrace family. Lord, let us reject any romantic, utopian view of what that is and embrace true, authentic family. Lord, I ask that you would raise up fathers and mothers within this house who would shepherd and lead well. Lord, I pray that this would be a safe house for sons and daughters to to stretch their spiritual legs and even make mistakes at times, but to be corrected and encouraged and set back on the right way. Give us grace to embrace family in Jesus' name. Lord, for the ones who who have never heard this idea of them being a living stone, who who are even offended a little bit at the idea that they're not just the temple, Lord, I ask that you would 
give wisdom, that you would give understanding, that you would give correction, and you would give grace. Lord, pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name so that we all step into fullness. Lord, I pray for this house stepping into this new season, that there would be an equipping of the leaders who are leading these house churches, that they would be filled with wisdom and revelation, that they would have clear vision of your purpose, of your ways, of how you build. Lord, I ask that you would make them master builders in Jesus' name. Lord, that they would, they would take the living stones and they would transform them into precious materials that withstand any testing and any fire that comes their way. Oh God, bring glory to your name in your house, in Jesus' name.